Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. We believe every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Let's jump in. Well, welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Welcome. We're, welcome. 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 We're very glad that you're here. Four um, welcomes glad. Four welcomes glad. Yes. That is the that is how welcomed you should feel. We are if still... you feel three welcomes oh. glad, you're not welcomed enough. <laughs> this is what the meet and greet at church is for. This is this is it. This is for awkward terrible. people like us to back you into a corner and be welcome. like, Hi, you like Jesus? <laughs> That's us. That's and us. welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. <laughs> We are still in the book of Genesis. Oh, yes. And Genesis chapter 6. Yes. The continuation of the fall. So I've been thinking about Genesis. I would hope so, since we're going to talk <laughs> about it today. And I've been trying to just think of more and more helpful ways for us to engage like our imagination in the book of Genesis. And I keep thinking about superhero origin stories. Of course you have. That makes total sense. I don't know if you've seen, I don't know if you've seen the new Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, the it's, animated one? Yeah, oh, so good. It's so good. It's so good. And one of the things that I think is helpful, at least for me, is that we have not moved beyond the need for creation myths in our culture and our mm. society. But we just don't call them creation myths. We call them origin stories. Oh, yeah. And we have things like... we. I don't... I was like, as a kid, the first movie in a superhero franchise was always the best one. Oh, Batman Be- Begins. Batman Begins. Come on. Sp- the first Spider-Man. Like whenever the superhero is like learning his power and trying to figure it out, yep. that was always the most interesting. It was interesting. always a lot of fun. It was always the most fun. Yep. And so as I've been thinking about that, I've I've kind of realized what Genesis does for us, it gives us kind of an imaginative universe. Who's in charge? God is. Who is evil and who's good? God is evil and everything. Oh, God is evil. Oh, God is good. God is good and everything and anything that's evil is created and lesser than Him. Right. Who are we? We are made in God's image, designed to rule with Him. It mm-hmm. gives them like an imaginative framework for who we are. And origin stories do the same thing for us. Right. They say fundamentally the world is has equal and opposite forces of good and evil, and just a little nudge on either side and it could fall out of balance. Mm. We're waiting for a hero to save us. This hero comes on the scene and develops his power through self-realization of his own innate abilities. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, normally, it happens in a world of chaos, like complete chaos. Everything's going crazy. Gotham City, everything's terrible. Gotham City, or even Miles Morales. His parents are divorced or divorcing. His brother is involved in some crazy stuff. Like, the world around them is falling apart. And the only hope... Literally ripped apart of the seams by breaking the space-time continuum through a black hole. Exactly. The world is chaotic. (laughs) It's between two forces of good and evil. And the way that the world is saved is through a hero who realizes who he truly is. That's the narrative of almost everyone. Mm -hmm. And that we, we still believe that. So the origin story of Genesis is profoundly different. Mm-hmm. The world is not equally pitted between good and evil. There is one good God right. who controls all things, and mm-hmm. anything evil is far below him. Right. We are not saved by realizing who we are, mm-hmm. but by realizing that God has made us in his image to do his will. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different vision of what we should be in this world and how the world will be saved. Right. And besides that, when evil and conflict does enter, it's not through human beings, it's through a son that God sends that will mm. save the world. Right. It's a totally different way of thinking about our origins and who we are as people. We're not saved by self-realization. Mm-hmm. We're saved by the Lord who gave us ourself. Mm. 
right? Yeah, that's really that's really cool. And so then when Genesis three fifteen comes and the fall comes, <laughs> yep. what happens? We shift from an origin story to a post apocalyptic nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> That's the rest of the book of Genesis is us slowly falling further and further away from God's good creation right. into Mad Max, into a desert with a crazy ruler, and we're all enslaved. <laughs> That's the story of the book of Genesis, and we're trying to figure out life in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Right. That's the story. <laughs> That's the story. I like your brain, Seth. <laughs> Cormac McCarthy in the road. Oh, no. I'm going there. Oh, no. It's just two, uh, they're not even named. It's a a boy and a father. And the whole story, they're just, it's a battle. Like, how can we remain good? What are we going to do? How do we survive? And the line is, like, we have to keep carrying the fire. Mm. We have to keep carrying the fire. Nobody ever explains what the fire is, except that it's worth carrying on. And you don't really have to explain what the fire is. It's that humanity. It's not giving in to the cannibals that are Mm. surrounding you. Mm -hmm. It's not uh, acting it's not killing other people. Right. It's like being part of a family, being and so close-knit. Like, you, I, you talk about this post-apocalyptic like view of this story of the of the Old Testament. The yeah. whole Old Testament leading yeah. up to Jesus is this post-apocalyptic zombie universe. Right. And it's like Israel is the is the survivor's enclave yes, <laughs> that, that that's God exactly is right. building and saying like, okay, I'm going to bring you into this. This, there's always that safe land, yeah. you know, like where people in the city are like, I hear out in Cleveland, there's right. a refuge. Right, that's right? exactly right. And it's like the land of Canaan. I'm right. going to take you there. Land that's full terminus. Of milk and honey. Yeah. That's terminus. We're <laughs> going to go there. Everything will be safe. There's big walls and, you know, everything like that. And like, that's yeah. what's happening. But it fails. And the disease from the outside, the zombie world, ends up getting into Israel itself yep. and eating her alive. And it's like, oh, so Israel is not going to be the savior. This enclave is not going to be the savior. There's going to have to be something else that's the savior. So yes. this is the world we're in, this right. post-apocalyptic zombie world. And so when we read cool. Genesis 6 to 11, we need to understand, like, for us, that's really helpful because we expect certain things to happen in the post-apocalyptic genre. Like, we expect the world slowly to get worse, worse. Mm-hmm. and worse and worse and to get darker and darker and darker. Right. And that no matter how great there's, there, there might be some victory it's always short-lived right and you're waiting you're always waiting for the end of the apocalypse yeah or like or like a complete reversal like a yes, cure a cure yep yep okay so that's where we are interesting that's, that's where a, we are all right i don't so, know if that's helpful for all of our listeners it was helpful for you though and that's it was what matters helpful for me. <laughs> <laughs> and again that's not to say the book is false that this oh, is just a right, story. Right. I think in I think in the last episode you said something, or not the last like Psalm twenty two, but ba- the last time we talked about Genesis in the fall, you said uh, just like these are myth, not that they're false, but that they're forming our worldview. Yes, right. They're That's yeah, exactly right. Yes, they're true stories told in a way to help shape the worldview of the people who originally listened to them. And so the first thing we're told about the post apocalyptic wasteland. Oh boy, is the Nephilim. I don't want to do it. <laughs> no, <laughs> who it's are great. the Nephilim? Yeah. Uh, well, let's 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 take a look. So, what this is? Uh, this is Genesis six. Genesis six. The first words of Genesis six. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh; his day shall be one hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These are the mighty men of renown who uh, were of old. So there you go. There's the Nephilim. So there's the Nephilim. Um, Why is this here? Yeah. Maybe like instead of like, okay, we have some weird demonic 
human babies or something. Like <laughs> instead of going there, like why is this story here? Yeah. Well, I think we're we're supposed to see one one that the rebellion and the brokenness and um, the sin is getting worse. And it's it, you you have these two two things that are supposed to be happening, or, or one thing that's supposed to be happening. Mankind was supposed to be fruitful and multiply and spread the image of God around the world. And the exact opposite is happening. Mm. Through this cross-pollination of these fallen, rebellious mini-gods, these sons of God, like uh, they, yeah, yeah. they are being fruitful and multiplying with them and spreading a broken image around the world. So it's like the original idea of creation was, I've made you in my image, have babies, and fill the earth with that image. Right. And now we are not... Uh, not multiplying God's image around the world, but these false mm-hmm. mini gods were, were spreading their image. So it's like, this is how bad things are getting. Right. Is I think is like the original intent of the garden is not only not being fulfilled, the exact opposite is occurring. So this is really like a false way to fulfill the command to right. be fruitful and multiply. That's right. It's not spreading God's image throughout the world, but it's spreading this demonic image throughout the right. world. That's right. And so whether or not this is an actual demon having actual sex with human ladies or something else, right. we know what it's communicating to us is the world is getting so bad that the only command that God gave in the garden is being reversed to its greatest possible extent. Mm-hmm. That's that's what we're supposed to see in that moment, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I think it's we don't have the time and it's not the focus of the show to get into the minutia right. of cosmologically and biologically what occurred right. to make these children the nephilim <laughs> right uh but what i think i think what we've said is is, is is things are spiraling out of control um the the heavens are rebelling right the the elohim the divine council is is fracturing and and there's a cosmic rebellion that is bleeding into this earth rebellion what started in the garden with a snake is now multiplying several times over with multiple fallen uh, Elohim that are just right. making a mess of everything. We're, we're reversing the creation mandate, uh, and it, it just seems like the whole thing is spiraling out of control. It's post-apocalyptic. Like, and like most yeah. apocalyptic movies, what causes the outbreak? What causes the extreme weather event? It's human pride. Oh, human right. Human pride caused that we made this fight. Vi- we thought we could control the virus, but then the apes uh-huh. take over. All <laughs> of us. <laughs> like our, in the hu- our hubris comes back on, on itself yeah. mm-hmm. through... Through nature, right. through zombies, through monkeys, <laughs> right. like something, our pride is expressed in the world around us, and it comes back to us. Yeah, which is actually some, very similar to what happens here. Our pride and our hubris and our, our rebellion is so great, the world doesn't curve back on itself, although it does. Mm. But God sends the world as punishment for our pride. Oh, I see. Right? right. Does yeah, that yeah, make yeah. sense? Yeah. So you're leaning into the flood there. I'm right? leaning into the flood. Yeah, there, yeah, yeah. Right. I think. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yes to that. I think I, I want, just because I don't want to have to circle back around to it later, <laughs> I think it'd be good to talk about Jesus in this passage about the Nephilim. Yeah. Um, because we... Prove we can talk about Jesus in, in any corner of Scripture. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, you think about it, you have these sons of God from the heavens mm-hmm. coming down and uh, creating a new breed of humans. Right, so you have these half men, half god babies, you know, that right. are interpolluting with the world, and it's making corruption and causing destruction. That's like right, causing the wrath of God to in come the out. Flood That's right, to mm-hmm. come. Yeah, yeah. The exact opposite happens in the gospel, right? So you have the true man God, who's not a lesser Elohim in that term of God. He's right. God Himself, half Yahweh, half 
Adam, right? Yeah. Half man, half God in Jesus. 100% God. 100% uh, God. Yeah, sorry. There we go. Thank you for correcting my heresy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 100% God, 100% man. And um, and come comes to us and, cre- and cre- is born of a virgin. So there's not like there, but there is this kind of interesting correlation between mm. the impregnation that led to the Nephilim and the Holy Spirit conce- uh, you know, Conce- conceiving right, in Mary, right. the Jesus. Very, I mean, who knows what's right. happening there? Right. <laughs> um, and then you have this this God who comes and he he allows a new breed of people to be made, not through like mm-hmm. we've talked about with right. with being fruitful and multiplied, not through sexual intercourse, but through. Um, proclaiming the good news of Jesus, He's we're reborn in uh, through baptism right. into this new family. Uh, we're new creations instead and of it, these and, spirit beings yeah. expressing their pride in the world, and then the world turning in on itself by God's wrath and destroying them. We become these new spirit beings, right? Infilled with the Holy Spirit yeah. to go out and save the world from the wrath to come. Mm-hmm. That's what the right. gospel. That's the gospel right. turn in the next, which is really cool, and it sets us up for the flood really well here because right. there is a coming wrath. And there is coming salvation all all at once. So uh, we'll, we'll check that out now. So God has made this pronouncement that his spirit will not abide with man forever. His days will be 120 years, um, which has confused a lot of people because they say, so man's only going to live 120 years and then they'll die. No one's going to live longer than 120 years. Oh, And that's been yeah. like the thing. But then after the flood for a long time, people live much longer than 120 years. Right. So it's like, so was God wrong? Did the right, did right. this like promise take a while to go into effect? <laughs> or like, did it slowly trickle down? It was only for the half God, half demon, yeah, half yeah, human babies. Yeah, yeah, what's the deal? <laughs> and uh, and I think the more convincing argument is that from this time, when you then when you trace the descendants, uh, you kind of like line up the chronology, the chronology of uh, Genesis, what it looks like is there was 120 years from this pronouncement to the flood. Oh, okay. Right, which makes a lot more sense for me. So that's where I put my foot down on that. I have no, I have, you have no, no dog in that fight. I, you have, you don't care. I, I, I care. <laughs> you care, but I did not know I needed to care <laughs> until this moment. Well, great. Well, there you go. Then you can just take my word for it, since you have no competing opinion. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> great. Uh, and then, um, so God says that there's going to be this flood, right? And he's going to wipe it because, uh, and the reason is, we should probably look at this. The reason God says he's going to wipe out the flood is that, uh, where is that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yes. Like Verse 11. Thank you. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And he goes on to say essentially that there's, everyone does evil all the time. Right. Continually. Yes. That's why the flood's coming. Everyone does evil all the time, continually. Yeah, and he says that the the, the world is corrupt. And um, I, I looked that up. Like, the Hebrew word there um, has this connotation of also, uh, like, destroyed. Like, that, that word has, it can also mean destroyed. The word, the world is already destroyed. Mm-hmm. And so God is finishing what man started in the flood. Right. That he's destroying yeah, yeah, what's yeah. been destroyed. It goes back to, like, our pride That's like right. turning back on mm-hmm. itself we thought we could just go ahead and destroy the world of the rainforest and that fact that it's actually causing interstellar <laughs> like, yeah, it's like it's causing the world to like just eat itself alive right nothing works the way it should anymore yep. and god's saying okay you've chosen this for yourself i'm going to come in and actively choose for you the same path right same thing we saw in exodus when we walked through it mm. pharaoh hardens his own heart oh, and right. god comes in behind and says, i will confirm you mm-hmm. by my active decision in your rebellion right yeah yeah and so, um, so God uh, is going to flood the earth and blot out 
humankind. He's he, he he says he's sorry that he made the earth. I regret it. I regret that I made the earth, right? Which is a hard passage. It's a very hard passage. Yeah. It's like God can regret something. And I and Does that I, mean he wish he didn't do it? it? Did God yeah. wish he didn't do something? And th- no, but it's like we have to understand that at some point we're using human words and what what we're trying what, what the biblical author is trying to communicate to us is a an emotion. Right. Is that God is filled with sadness and hurt and it and like how do you communicate that it feels like regret right and it's like he's just trying to let us into the heart of god it doesn't feel good for god to see his hum- his creation destroy the world around him and then say okay if that's what you want right let me give it to you that's right like, we that shouldn't see god <laughs> smiling as he unleashes the floods he's weeping yeah yeah and so i think that's just something good for us to remember um, is that this was painful for God to do. Uh, but, and it's yeah. the first time we see God experiencing like mm. this, this type of emotion. Oh, we see yeah. like, we see like he's in the garden. You can tell that he's like exacting punishment, right. but we don't get an emotive word. Right. So I just think it's interesting that we get this emotive word for God and he's just weeping. Mm. He's regretful. He wishes it didn't have to be so, but he knows it must be. Right. And he's, he's sad. Yeah. Man. Yeah, and so, um, but what's interesting is uh, there's still this promise extended from the beginning in Genesis, right? Where there is supposed to be this seed, this promised seed from Eve that continues and ultimately bears a child that will defeat evil forever. Uh, but if God kills everyone, <laughs> where's that seed going to come from? E- Eve's line will be over, and so God finds this man Noah. He carries the fire. And he carries the fire. It's going to always come back down. <laughs> okay, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. And so um, he, he selects Noah, who is, we're told that he's righteous, right? And um, I think there's a, a few things to note here. One is, is I don't think this is primarily about Noah's moral worth. I think it's probably in there. It's primarily about the fact that he is in this chosen line. That like just like en- you know Enoch was uh, earlier in, in in the in the story we've been following through these genealogies this chosen line and um, when we when we follow them we see who's righteous and who's not who's chosen who's not who's yeah. of the line of Eve who's who's of the line of Satan and it's in verse eight but Noah found favor in the right. eyes of the Lord and that word favor is the word that's translated elsewhere as grace right Noah found grace in the sight of the that's Lord right. he was blameless among his generation it says that in the next verse. But ultimately, the reason why he was chosen is because God decided, right. I will I will love you, yeah. not based on who you are or your blamelessness or your greatness, but because I've chosen to love you. Right. And so he has him build this ark, this, uh, or, or uh, chest, or coffin. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, there's these, there's these Hebrew and Babylonian words being played with here, um, that it's, it's closer to the word chest than it is to the word boat. Okay. Um, which a floating box? A floating box. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like a floating box, kind of e- emotive of a coffin. Okay. Which is this whole death to life motif that's happening here? Is that that God is saving the world through death? Mm-hmm. That He's going to kill the world, but put protect it, but in, protect a it in a coffin, <laughs> yeah. and then bring them out of that coffin into life. So it's a death, yeah. burial, and resurrection oh. thing happening here. That sounds like Jesus. Wait a second. <laughs> What show do you think you're on here? <laughs> Spoken gospel? <laughs> yeah, but that's that's like the motif that's happening here that, that, that we see. And what's really interesting, too, is um, it's not just Noah that's saved, right? It's his, his family, family, which um, isn't just a utilitarian concept. Like, it wasn't just 
um, a matter of utility. Oh, just right? like, well, we need to replenish the population right, exactly. on the other side of the flood, so you better have yeah. some wives. <laughs> it, it, that's part of it, I'm yeah. sure. But the other part is this idea that Noah's family was saved because of Noah's righteousness and blamelessness and God's grace to him that he is the representative head of his family, and since he was found favor in the sight of God, his family was saved along with him, okay. which is, again, yeah. a picture of Christ, who is the head of the new humanity. Who is himself blameless. Who is his, himself truly blameless, blameless and extends grace to us, yeah. and we are saved on account of him. We enter into his ark. And we're adopted by him. That's right. We're saved Into by, his family. We're, saved, we're adopted into his family, and we're saved by the fact that he goes into a coffin for us. Right comes out of the waters of death and saves us. Right. Right. Yes. So another really cool way to see Jesus there, um, which uh, uh, I think Peter picks up on uh, in the New Testament. And so um, the floodwaters come, and here we get a really important image, right? Um, because you have the waters from heaven uh, and the waters from the deep coming together. Okay. Right? I, I, like, I, I noticed that. I didn't know it was important. Well, it's, the uncre- it's uncreation. Because what was one of the first acts God did when he made the oh. world, he put a vault between the sky and the, and the ground and like separated yeah. the waters. He separated the two. And so this is That's an right. image of them coming, back, coming together. back together. So we're seeing again, the spirit was over the face of the deep, right? And hovering over the waters. And it's like, oh no, we're back at the beginning. Like oh, this yeah. is uncreation. Yeah, Everything's yeah. going back to the way it was. Un- this like vast and void water watery desert it's, right that's the world's going back to that now. right and now it's not the spirit of god just hovering over the face of the water it's, it's this coffin it's this yeah <laughs> and it's the it's the image bearers of god hovering yeah. over the face of the water mm. who are going to come back down to the earth and recreate it just as god originally created eden right so you had god hovering over the face of the waters separates them right right and then god then works the ground and forms everything right right, right. now the human project now is the humans go back down to earth from the from the void interesting right and recreate everything so what we should be waiting for is when they finally finally hit the ground it's like a new eden a new eden or a new version of eden where god's image bearers actually do the job they were handed in the first place that's right create the world right and that's what we see so we see uh when the floodwaters subside um, they rest on top of a mountain, which we're told, we think we talked about this in the first episode about Genesis, mm-hmm. that Eden was also pictured as a mountain. Right, right? That's right. So we're back on a mountain. Why? Because mountain tops in the ancient Near East, when this was written, were viewed as the abodes of the gods. Right. Right? They're the closest to heaven. That's and, where the priests yep. would go to meet with God. Right. So when they land on top of the mountain, like in the ancient Maya, like this is where they would meet with God. This yes. is where God, the gods would reside. Mm-hmm. Instead, we have humans residing where the gods reside or with God, right. like, just like in the Garden of Eden. And from that place where, where the humans are in communion with God, they spread the image of God yes. throughout the world. Right. And so, and that's what we get. Uh, they, they land on this mountain, they go out, and immediately after, um, God gives them this, the creation mandate again. Right, he re- renews to them the same kind of covenant he gave to Adam and Eve. The same words he gave them: "Be fruitful and multiply." You know, he, he tells them, "Fill the earth." Uh, and then you also see um, Noah working the ground. He plants a vineyard, so he's he's starting to do garden things. Right, you right, know, yeah, and, yeah. He's planting fruit. And before yeah. we get to Noah doing all of his mm-hmm. garden things, yeah. Why I always think about the dove. Okay, it's just an important thing. Is it? I don't know, but I yeah. always think it should be important. I know. I feel like the commentators are divided. Some people talk about the fact that Noah, here we see Noah's like ingenuity and, okay. and, and cleverness, 
that he would use birds or that he was patiently waiting on God to tell him whether yeah. or not it's time to go. Um, other people obviously want to look at it as a type of like the Holy Spirit yeah. where you have this dove. And, so I don't know and of it's any like, other places in the Bible doves are mentioned besides right. this story and, and when the dove falling on Jesus at baptism. a baptism, right. which, which ba- baptism and, and flood right. the New Testament like, put together. So yeah, yeah but I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know what the dove represents here in this story. And no, no, like, like he's like fluttering over the waters, <laughs> looking for things. Maybe it's this Holy Spirit that was. Oh, anyway, well, if you don't see anything, I was wondering. I think I, if mean, I poked your mind enough. Maybe the, th- the first thing that the, if I poked your mind enough, <laughs> Jesus comes out. I think the thing that I think is, um, you have the the dove coming back, or or it doesn't come back. Right, is whenever whenever Moses actually leaves, is Moses is this new representative head. And he goes out and starts to fulfill the creation mandate after the dove doesn't return. Right. Right. With Jesus, he after the flood waters of of his baptism, the dove comes on him. The dove comes back. Mm-hmm. Right. And he is the new representative head who then goes out and fulfills the creation mandate. Right. So, right, right. so it, you, it could be something like that. But you're not convinced of what you just said. I don't know. I'm not. <laughs> but I'm like, I could see it, but it feels a little allegorical to me. It doesn't feel. Paul used allegory? Yeah, but there's a. There's, there's Rubber some... stamp that business. No. That is. <laughs> there's, a, there's a responsible allegory. We need to do a whole episode on responsible allegory. Regardless yeah. of the dove and the, its significance, Noah and his family are new. A new royal family, That's new right. royal, new imagers, Adam and Eve, new Adam and Eve intended to build the garden. We see him doing it. He builds vineyards. Yes. He starts making things. But as soon as he starts, but oh, before then, the covenant, right? The covenant. So he's supposed to be this person, and God makes a covenant with Noah, just like he made a covenant right. with Adam and Eve. Right, which you hinted at a little bit already. Mm-hmm. Yep. But there's some new elements to it, too, right? So right. there's the murder, like the, 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 the mandate murder, murder mandate, the no murder mandate. I'm right. trying to think of a snappy term for the it. The no murder mandate. <laughs> and it's it's important because humanity has tried this experiment once before. Right. And it failed. Because of murder. Because of murder. Right away. Like Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. The first... Sin, sin, like, outside yeah, the garden. Outside the garden was murder. Right. And so God's saying, okay, I know this is the tendency of people in this world. So intense. <laughs> so it's like, it's such a, it's like you would expect like a slippery slope. Like, man, you, oh man, you started from, you stel- you stole something from your brother. Nope. You just murdered him. You just murdered him. Well, and I mean, and Jesus picks it up. Like if you're angry with your That's, brother. It's the same thing. And so I think too, like we should probably take stock of ourselves as human beings. Like what's one mm. of the, like... We're we're not as insulated from the ability to kill our fellow man as we think. And right. again, what's one of the most common themes in post-apocalyptic literature? Oh yeah, is that when the world when the when the normal constraints of the world are off of us, what happens? Everybody starts killing each other. We'll destroy each other. Right. The, and like it, there, we recognize there's something in the human heart that tends towards death. Yeah. I think the Bible recognizes that. And so he's saying the first in this new in this new Eden, he's saying. Don't kill each other. Your mm-hmm. heart's going to be tempted towards it, but that is not the way of the Lord. That right. is not the way of the new world. That's not right. the way of God. Well, because like killing is the opposite of the creation mandate. Be right. fruitful and multiply, <laughs> not subtract right, right? And, and divide. Subtract like, <laughs> <laughs> be fruitful and multiply. Don't, don't be fruitless and subtract or something like yeah. that. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a math guy, but uh, yeah. So I think that's that's interesting. And then there's also this rainbow that we're given, right? The rainbow is here in this story, um, and it's a promise that God will never flood the earth again, right? And I love so so much the Jesus Storybook Bible. Oh yeah, 
And they have this line in here. When you think about a bow, he doesn't even describe it as a rainbow. He said, there will be a, a bow, bow in the sky. And so anybody, we think about a rainbow and we think about unicorns and leprechauns. <laughs> but like they, their mind would have seen like an arrow, a, a bow, bow and, and arrow. arrow. Correct. And if you look at a, a rainbow that way, where is the arrow? Where would the arrow be pointed? Up into heaven. Up into heaven. So God's wrath comes down. He mm-hmm. promises never to flood. He's put his bow down. He's put his bow down. Right. His, his, yeah, he's put it down. Instead so, of aiming the arrow uh-huh. at heaven, he rests it, and the arrow would be resting right towards the heart of God. Right. And Sally Lowe joins in this Jesus Storybook Bible says that's an image of what happens in Jesus Christ. Mm. The wrath is no longer pointed, pointed at, at the us. earth. It's pointed back at God. How wow. do we escape the wrath of God? How do we escape an un- uh, oncoming flood? It's not because we're great, but because mm-hmm. God has set in the covenant of Moses that the bow would no longer be pointed towards humans. It would be pointed towards himself. Yeah. And if you trust in the bow, if you trust in that image, you'll be saved. Yeah. The new Eden will come. Mm. Man, that's really good. It's so beautiful. It's really beautiful. It's so beautiful. I'll never look at a rainbow the same way again. I know. It's so good. It's a symbol of war. Yeah. And the war is on God. God's side. God's going to wage war against himself to save us, which is insane. Um, I've also heard... this. this is, yours is way better. So, <laughs> so this is... If this was the top of the roller coaster, the most fun, you're about to be at the end where you're like, oh, I can tell we're about to be back at the little loading Ooh, bay. You start breaking. Yeah, you're like, oh, it's over. But I thought it was interesting that you have like um, these, you had this, all these spiritual beings at the beginning of, of, of Genesis, and you have like the serpent, and then you have the Nephilim, you have these sons of God running around, and um, I've heard also that it was said that the bow is like a boundary line that God puts oh. in the sky. You know, because also it's like you have God walking in the cool of the day, and then he's a little bit farther from Cain and Abel, and it feels like he's a little bit farther from Noah, and he's like, he's withdrawing too, and Mm. going back up into the heavens. And so God's kind of also putting a boundary line there with the the bow, saying like, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna cross yeah. this line for a while. I, I don't know. I've heard commentators talk about this. It which, could be, yeah. but I think. I mean, he says, and God said, this is a sign of the covenant that right. I made between. It doesn't you and say. Every... It doesn't say anything about. Well, it's like it's a sign of promise. Right. It's a sign of presence mm-hmm. in the new mm-hmm. Eden. Yeah. So maybe. Anyway, maybe. But maybe. But I like, mine I like yours way better. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we yeah. have a new Eden. Maybe we have a new ki- covenant. Yep. We have promises that the the curse will no longer fall on humanity, but it will fall on the Lord somehow mysteriously. Mm. And what do we do with the promise? What do we do with our new Eden? We get drunk. We get drunk. <laughs> we get drunk. We eat the fruit. Yep. Oh. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah, we eat the fruit. Yeah, we enjoy the fruit. Yeah, we get drunk. Which, enjoying the fruit wasn't the wrong the wrong part. And, and really, even the drunkenness... I've heard commentators talk about how this is an incident, like an like an right. accident of the story. It's not the the main sin of the story is not Noah's drunkenness. It's the fact that Canaan walks in on his father, and that's kind of all the information yeah, we're told. Naked uncovers yeah. his father's nakedness. Uncovers his father's nakedness, which is which. So let's talk about this. Yeah, this is kind of, we don't know. We don't know what happens in the tent. We don't. But uncovers his father's nakedness is a loaded term. It is in in Leviticus and like in the law, right? It means have sex with. Yeah. And so it's like, wait, what? <laughs> like, do we already have like some kind of sodomy happening right, right. after the f- like, like incest? That's so intense. Right. 
It could be that. Right. It could be a sexual sin of another kind. Because not all, uh, to uncover somebody's nakedness. Oh, it doesn't have to mean intercourse. doesn't have to right. mean intercourse. Yep. It could mean that he just saw his father naked and used an opportunity to make fun of him, right. to ridicule him, yep. to invite his other brothers in, which is he does. He does. To like join in, in, into and his mockery. And they do it respectively. They walk in backwards and cover their father's nakedness. Right. But making fun of Abraham doesn't seem like... Or Noah. Or Noah doesn't seem like it's deserving of, of the, yeah exactly the, punishment the crazy received. punishment that's coming. So whatever's happening, this is a, a picture, just like Cain and Abel was a picture of the murder that happens mm-hmm. in a, the, like the the anger that our heart feels. This is a picture of like some type of lust, right? Some type of desire, some type of extreme perverted longing, yeah, extreme brokenness that deserves right to be cursed, right? And if it is, I mean, it has to be sexual of some sort, uh, and if it is, it's a direct violation of the new command that God just gave to be fruitful and multiply, right? Like, Canaan, go sleep with your wife and right. have children to populate this new Eden. Oh, yeah. Don't go do this unholy, unimaginable, terrible thing with your father, like, whatever it was. Like, you're 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 perverting everything. Like, And there is this sexual sin idea carried over from the Nephilim story where there's broken sexuality happening, and it's happening again right afterwards. And so um, there is something really shameful occurring here in the tent with Noah and Canaan. Which, what's yeah. Canaan's original name? Ham. Right, Ham. right, right, right. Okay. So um, then, then Noah goes in to curse Ham. No, you don't want to go well, there yet. I, I was just thinking, I think, remember we talked about in the story of Cain and Abel, like that functions as a piece of wisdom literature that you're supposed to meditate over and try to figure out why did God not accept Cain's offering? Oh, right. And here I think you have something else happening. Like, what did happen in the tent? Mm. And I think you're supposed to wrestle with precisely how you, what happened, hold those things in your mind, and wonder how you might have committed the same thing. Mm. In the new garden with the new ruler, with your father, and trying to create this world, and you see someone who's incapacitated, are you tempted to take advantage of people who are there? And even the words here, their faces were turned backwards. It's the same language that God used uh, towards Cain. He turned his face away from him. Oh, wow. And then, he's, and then don't you know that if you uh, do good, your face will be turned back to me? Mm-hmm. So there's this idea of like intimacy, closeness with the father that's related to our intimacy and closeness with our brother. Right. And that can be perverted and gone wrong very quickly. Yes, and God even links those two in the murder mandate, right? He says, do not murder because man is made in my image. Yeah. And so to do violation against your against your fellow man is to do violation against me. So right. he's linking those. So that, I think that's a fair. I think jump the to make. fall, all these fall narratives should cause us as readers to examine ourselves and say, "Am I more like these characters than I care to admit?" Right. Would I make the same mistake in Adam and Eve if I think about it? Yep. Would I make the same mistake as Cain and Abel if I was given the opportunity? Mm-hmm. Would I do the same thing that Ham did? I right. might. And if that's the case, we deserve cursing. Right. Yeah. That's and, right. Yeah. Which is so the the creation and fall story continues. Right. right? New Eden. New fall, new curse. New pride. Right. New results. So so instead of God coming to Adam and Eve and giving them a curse and a blessing, he also has Genesis 3.15 in there, right, where there's a promise. Noah comes, and he's God's new mouthpiece in a sense, and he curses Ham and blesses Shem and Japheth, Mm -hmm. right? And so you have this new recapitulation of Genesis 3, the fall narrative. Yeah. And basically he says, Ham, who will be Canaan, uh, you're cursed forever, basically. And your brothers will rule and over your you. your brothers will r- rule over you. 
And, um, and, and so we, we see here we have this enmity that we talked about, mm. um, the splitting of the seed. Uh, there's some that will be the seed of Eve and some that will be the seed of the serpent from the beginning of this story. Right. And here it is. The separation is here again, blessing and curse, right? Chosen, unchosen, so in saying, and out. So another another parallel between all the fall narratives is that in Adam and Eve, we're told there'd be two different lines, the right. seed of the serpent, the seed of the woman. Yep. In Cain and Abel, we have two different lines, the sons of Cain and the sons of Seth. And here again with Ham and with uh, Shem and Jepheth, Yep. Uh, we have two different lines. Yep. The sons of Ham and the sons of, of, of Shem. Of, of Shem. Right. The, the, the faithful ones. That's right. Yeah. So okay. we have this separation continuing to happen, and then we see it play out. Right. So we don't have to guess. Like this is this is what Genesis always does through the whole book. It does this: is you have the splitting, and then you and then the the narrative proves that the choice to bless the one over the other was correct, and so the the line of Ham, Canaan, ends up at the Tower of Babel, right? But then the line of Sh- of Shem ends up leading us, we'll, we'll talk about next week, with Abraham. to Abraham, which is God's chosen covenant partner. So immediately after we're told that Ham will serve his brothers, yep. his brothers will rule over him, that he will be subservient to them, we get a long genealogy detailing That's right. the g- generations of... Ham's descendants. Mm-hmm. And by the time you get to the end of that list, and there's 70 names in that list, right. you get this another fall narrative. Yes. The Tower of Babel, another incident of human pride believing, and in this story in particular, that they can reach up and touch the heavens and be like right. God. Instead be- of God putting them on the mountain in the Garden of Eden, instead of God resting the ark on top of the mountain after the flood, they build their own mountain. And they will, this is the Tower of Babel, a ziggurat, this yeah. tall temple that would serve as a mountain peak for man and God to live together. They're form they're trying to form their own Eden. This is yeah. this is Eve at the tree again, trying to be God. Trying to they're get trying it for to make they're making their own Eden and they're making a religion for themselves right. around themselves. Yep. They're making a temple dedicated to their, their own, own pride <laughs> and their own ability and their own ingenuity. Yes. And the Lord sees that line of ham making that type of world. And he says, that's not that is not the way of the Lord. That no. is not the purpose of creation. It is not to exalt yourself. It is not to make a religion around who you are and what you can accomplish and what you can do. It's to trust in me to bring about the promise. That's right. And that's why we, as soon as the Tower of Babel happens, you get another genealogy of faithful Shem leading to the promise that God will bless the nations of the world through Abraham. Right, and, and let's, let's right. talk about that because yeah. the end of the Babel story is God says, uh, "Look what they've do. Look what they're doing. If 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 they can continue to work together, nothing will be impossible for them." And that's not God saying, "Oh no, they're going to get up into heaven and take over." He's saying they will continue to uh, just fall deeper into their own pride. They, like it will be like they'll just continue to be right. hard. They'll continue to build this city, and they will completely ignore me. Um, and so he ends up separating them, confusing their language, and spreading them out all across the face of the earth into all nations. Right. And then the next thing we get, this line of Shem, right? We right. get what we're going to find out next week is that God then makes a covenant with Abraham to bless those nations. So oh. God, even those people hmm. that he has punished and spread out and confused their language, he has a program to then go and save and bless them too. Like God's mercy knows no bounds. It's so crazy. It's like a reverse fall. It's a, and it's a reverse flood that instead of judgment going all the way around the world, He's going to bring salvation to cover the whole world. And like that is the picture that we get 
in like Habakkuk and in Revelation that we need to talk about in, in, in combination with the flood is that the flood brought God's wrath over the whole world. But Habakkuk shows us that it's God's desire to cover the world with his glory as waters cover the sea. Like he wants mm-hmm. his whole, like, which is Eden, right? Right. That was the plan of Eden. That's... And then what do we get in Revelation? It's not, it's not us building a tower up to God, right? And it's not right. God living up on some mountain either. It's behold, the dwelling of God has come to earth mm. and he makes his dwelling with us and his whole glory covers the whole world. Like amazing. Amazing. It's a new flood, but it's a good flood. It's the flood of God's glory covering the face of the earth that we get to enjoy instead of drown under. And what's amazing, yeah. even still, is that the types of people that God uses are not particularly spectacular. Oh, no. Right. Like Noah, the covenant to Noah, he gets he gets drunk. Right. Han, uh, uh, Sh- the line of Shem. Yep isn't particularly spectacular. No. Abraham will continue to sin just like his father. Yep. But regardless of the types of people, God will still use those people, precisely those people, to save the world from the demonic forces, from the evil that's in it, the pride that exists within it, and he will he will accomplish it. Have you seen Bird Box? Oh yeah. And so like we had that same story in Bird Box. You have this post-apocalyptic nightmare mm-hmm. where these evil forces right. are so, rampant throughout the world and who ends up being the heroes of the story the blind oh right the people that you least expect yeah and spoiler alert spoiler alert sorry Too guys <laughs> it's the people that you least expect right god uh, god but like it's, it's a reverse fall narrative yeah how will the fall be undone by the people you less expect yeah. and by the power of god Okay, uh, before we wrap up, because I want to end with talking about how Jesus, Jesus really fulfills the flood and everything like that and talk a little bit about baptism. But before we do that... And even Babel, how Jesus fulfills Babel. Yes, we should talk about that as well. Yeah. Um, uh, we got to talk about the competing or, you know, like... The alternate. Other, the alternate, that's a, that's a good word. Flood narratives at the time. Because this has been a stumbling block for a lot of people. It's messed them up. And if you don't know about it, here it is. <laughs> it's that there are tons of other flood narratives from around this time all over the world. Chinese Chinese people have them. Yep. Uh, the Native Greeks, Americans have them. The Greeks have them. Yep. They're they're <laughs> every, like almost every culture that we have like fragments of writings from have some kind of flood narrative. Yeah. Um and uh but the clo- and, and a lot of them have a lot of similar stories mm-hmm. mainly because how what what are some of the ways that you could escape a flood other than being on high ground and like, like being in a boat? Yeah, yeah. Be, like so like those things are kind of just coincidental. How else are you going to get through a flood? The closest comparison we have is um, from the Babylonians, right? Which were contemporaries of of these people, right? right? right, and, right, right. and it's the it's called the Epic of Gilgamesh, which some some of you might have heard of, and um, it's very similar to this story. Um, yeah. In terms of its narrative pieces, not its message. That's the that's the humongous difference. So, what you're, so let me just make yeah, sure yeah. that I think we're saying something similar here that we said about the genre of Genesis. That's correct. We the author of Genesis is taking common literary forms of the day and subverting them to his own to his own ends to preach his own message. Right? Is that maybe, what you're saying? Maybe. I think this one might be a little different, okay. honestly, because it, it would be a little bit easier to understand. Everyone has a creation myth. Let me tell you a creation myth that shows us who Yahweh is. Right. I think this is different in that this is a very historical event. Mm. Uh, anyway. Right. But right. again, like I was even like, 
everyone has a post a, a story of the post apocalypse right but like this one subverts our expectations of what Definitely. to hope for yeah right. and, and why yeah. it came and right. what its result is and all those things i think i want like any of our listeners who are like i don't know if i can buy into a flood narrative let's say I, I think you should probably consider the historical claims you behind should. this because Jesus will reference this, the flood at various times. And so you need to, you need to take that seriously. Right. The but New I, Testament took the flood seriously. Yes. Right. So you should too. Right. But at the end of the day, you can read the flood narrative as literature. Right. Intending to communicate to you a worldview. Yes. So don't let the craziness of a worldwide flood just right. shake you and, off the uh, book of Genesis. And mo- more and more commentators are coming to the side of a localized flood. Yes. That this wasn't a worldwide flood. It was local. The, wor- the, the word used for like the world is the same word for like a geographical area, nation. If you take this story and end up just wanting to debunk whether or not a flood happened right. or prove whether it did happen, you're missing the you're point. You're missing of the, point. The, point the, of the, story. the point of the story isn't could Moses have fit all these animals on the boat. The point is <laughs> what happens when the world is destroyed. That's right. And who what, is God? And who is yeah. God? Right. Yeah. And so anyway, so the epic of Gilgamesh, right? Um you have a lot of the similar stories. The the gods um uh are 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 just like angry up in heaven they, they're like getting drunk and everything like that and they're like let's flood the earth you know yeah. and uh and so they decide to and one um of the gods sneaks out and comes and lets the hero of the story the noah of the story know about it and he's like hey dude here's the deal the gods are mad they're gonna flood the earth you should build a boat okay okay and so he does it right and kind of everything transpires the same way the floods he rests on a mountain uh he even sends out birds right he 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 brings animals on the boat along with some like craftsmen so it's not just his family there's a few differences there yeah um he sends out birds but it's, it's presumably ham shem and jepeth had skills right yeah yeah sure 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 being sons yes <laughs> <laughs> and uh but it, for him it's not the it's it's the raven that goes out and 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 is the sign not the dove so like anyway just an right. interesting thing for your favorite part of the story maybe that's why the dove's important <laughs> it might be yep, yeah yeah and yeah. uh and then he comes out and um there's oh we didn't talk about this but we need to um and he sacrifices he makes a sacrifice just like noah did noah made a, a sacrifice to god after the, after flood. the flood yeah uh, and he does it too but the so it's very similar all these things yeah, yeah. but the reason behind them and what they're telling us about god or gods is extremely different so there's in this Gilgamesh, the gods are capricious. That's right. Drunk, yep. just as prone to folly yep. and debauchery as the rest of mankind. Yeah, and, and and the salvation that takes place is like a rebellion among the gods. Like right. it's one god sneaking out and telling about it, right? Right. Uh, it's not like an act of God's grace, right? Right. And think about it again, like we're talking about fall, fall narratives. Yep. The narrative of the fall is that humans rebelled against the one true God in the world fell apart yep in this story the gods cannot be trusted yep. and if we rebel against the gods we will be free yes it's literally the this opposite. lie <laughs> yeah. that satan told yes eve yes the flood narrative is com- battling a narrative that has been in the universe <laughs> since the beginning of time <laughs> right and throughout all societies and a lot of these flood narratives yeah is the gods can't be trusted they can't if right. we rebel against their wishes we can live the good life. Yes, exactly. And the our flood story comes and says no. It's the exact opposite. The gods are good. Yep. You're you destroying are the one the, who's capricious and terrible. And I will confirm you in that. Yep. I will punish you for it, but still give you grace. Yes. Amazing. And then um, the other really interesting thing we learn about God about the gods in the Epic of Gilgamesh is at the at the sacrifice, the reason why the the floods stop. It, and and the and the the waters subside is because the gods start to starve to death. 
because no one's making sacrifices to them. <laughs> <laughs> and so literally they're starving to death and they're like, this flood was a terrible idea. No one's giving us any food. So they're dependent on humans, right? right? And so they let the flood water subside. They end up like killing the God whose idea the flood was in the first place. And then, um, they, and then they're like, great, get the flood down. I'm so glad they saved this one dude and sacrificed so we can eat, right? And instead, in, in our narrative, it has nothing, the, the, flood, the flood subsiding has nothing to do with God being hungry or needing something from us. It's, it's to show mercy. It's mercy, pure mercy. And then whenever um, Noah sacrifices, right, it, it's not, God doesn't lick his lips and come and eat. We're just told that it's a pleasing aroma. That, that this man that God has saved is acceptable. Mm. Like, that's what this is. It's, it's this relationship is going to work. Right. And he offers a sacrifice that Cain did not. He's acceptable exactly right. before the Lord. Yes, exactly right. And so, um, that, like, the way they compare are so just, very different. But I want to, I like, I want to make a, a statement about why, like, why this shouldn't bother you. And actually why rival flood narratives should actually increase your faith in the historicity of the one flood that the Bible talks about okay, is because, think about it, if there was a massive flood that killed the world, right, and preserved this one group of people, do you think that Shem, Ham, and Japheth told their kids about this harrowing experience? And the nations that scattered, that's how they scattered across the they world. They all took that story with them. Right. And then, but then like... They perverted it, and they they you know expounded on it, and Satan probably spoke into it and was like, "Oh, mess it up like this. This will really lead people astray." Like he right. keeps telling lies, and then like way later, when you know four hundred or way way more than that, you know hundreds and hundreds of years later, right. when Moses comes on the scene and is meeting with God, and God tells Moses the actual way the the, the flood story right. happened, he's like, "Let me correct all the mis like guided about, ways people have remembered this story." Think about Ham, yeah. Who- does this terrible thing against yep. his father. His dad gets drunk. He does something that like is inappropriate. Yeah. But like, let's just say that one one of Ham's descendants was the person who wrote the Epic of Gilgamesh. Yeah. What's Ham's opinion of the gods? Oh, they're capricious. Oh, they man. get drunk just like my dad. He never gave me the authority that I wanted to. Oh my god. So you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna tell a story in where he's the bad guy, where the gods are the bad guys, where the fall is the fact that, you know, the gods are withholding. Yep. And they're not giving me what I want. I got cursed, man. And I'll take it <laughs> yeah. if I need to. That's right. Which is exactly what happened the fall. Yes. So even if you don't accept a historical flood narrative, think about the genius of the author of Genesis. Right. Let's just say he's taking some genre of literature that was a common way to tell a story like the post-apocalypse, like the zombie story been told a million times. So let's just say he's taking a zombie story and, per- and like repurposing it to talk about the true God. How brilliant is this story? Yeah. What's the more compelling narrative to you? Oh, yes. The one that says the gods are capricious or the one that says God's profoundly merciful and we're the ones that are capricious? Yes. Yeah. That's, it's amazing. Yeah. And, and, then take the, and then take the story of the gospel, right? And how the gospel then takes this story and shows us the real meaning of it, right? That, the, that God is not capricious, that God has turned the bow toward himself, right? Because Jesus comes, right, and he bears the flood of the curse that was against mankind. Like, he takes it on himself. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned the bow against heaven, God? Like, why are you aiming it at your son? Like, I was supposed to be Noah in the ark, and I am the only person out here under the flood. Like, what, what have you done? You've forsaken me. And, um, and, and that's The Christian story is a truly unique story. Yes. People think by 
fulfilling their sexual appetites by living the enlightened postmodern 21st century life, that they're doing something original and brave. It is literally as old as the universe. Sin is profoundly unoriginal. Oh, yes. It is profoundly simple and it's profoundly like unenlightened. Yeah. It's what people have been doing for millions, thousands, however long <laughs> people have been around. Right. Years. Yes. And there's only one unique story that says that humans are made for more than enduring the chaos. Mm-hmm. They're made to stretch the bounds of God's kingdom. They're actually imprints of the divine. They carry the fire and they have, are incredibly valued by the Lord. And his desire is to show them mercy mm-hmm. upon mercy, grace upon grace, even if it means killing himself to give it to them. Yeah, there's no other story like that. No other story. Yeah, it's amazing. And so what's cool is uh, the the New Testament authors pick up on this flood narrative, and they say that um, by us going through the waters of baptism, we are uh, put in the ark with Jesus, basically. That um, when we go under the waters of baptism, we are dying the death we should have died under the flood like the rest of mankind in this story in Genesis. But when we come out, we're risen to new life out of the waters like Noah was, and we're safe with Jesus, and like we're covered with him. We get, just like the the Shem and Japheth and Ham got to go into the boat because of Noah's blamelessness, we get to go into the ark because of Jesus' blamelessness. We're baptized into adoption, into him. Um, it's just so amazing. And, and I think we have to make sure if, if the flood story is still bothering you, and you're like, man, I, can't, I just can't believe that God is that wrathful, right? Mm. Um, I think you need to chasten it with the cross and understand, yes, God is very wrathful against sin, but we need to see that ultimately he bears that wrath himself. Yes. And so however wrathful he is, he is infinitely more gracious and merciful. And so you have to take those two things hand in hand um, and understand that God still has wrath against sin, right? right? But he has given us a way to be free from the flood in the body of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to creating free, gospel centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. So, to join us in our mission and view our resources, we invite you to visit spokengospel.com. Mm-hmm.